Masechet Baba Metzi'ah, Daf Vav. Here's an outline of the sugya from yesterday and into the beginning of today's daf. Um, on yesterday's daf, they, we clarified what is the meaning of the vow of, of the Mishnah, and we gave the reason, the reason of Rabbi Yochanan. We saw this actually all the way on daf bet, uh, but there it was what is brought as part of the introduction um, of the Masechet, but here is the actual place. And Rabbi Yochanan said uh, that the two people coming into, the, into court, both holding onto a garment, have to make a vow so that we discourage people from grabbing uh, an item. You see, someone else has an item that they found, and you just go and grab it. Now we ask, well, why don't we suspect him of swearing falsely? If he's willing to go and steal something, then uh, we should be, he should be suspect of swearing, of swearing as well. So the answer is, here's a general principle. We do not say, since someone is suspect for theft, that he's also suspect for swearing falsely. It's not true. There are people that are pious thieves. They don't mind stealing from someone, but they wouldn't swear. And therefore, as long as he swears that it's his, um, and he found it first, so we believe the vow, and we give him half. That is the general rule. Now, um, that this rule is upheld, but not before we first pr- try to prove it from the case of Modeh B'Miksat, who takes a loan. Um, and then in that case, we believe him because, may we say, maybe he's buying time. He's not really uh, trying to be a thief. Now, what happened in the deposit case? Because um, there, he should have the item on hand, and if he's denying it, then he's certainly a thief. And if he's a total thief, then we should not believe any vow that he makes. So um, uh, what about that? This would be a challenge to the rule of since he expected for, for theft, he expected also for swearing falsely. That is a challenge to the rule that we do not say it. Rabbi Yochanan's um, understanding says we don't want people to grab. We assume that even if they would steal, they would not swear falsely. Uh, but this case is, this cases of deposit um, are a challenge to that rule that we do not say it because here we uh, should say that um, he's sus- since he's suspect for theft, he should be sus- suspect for swearing falsely because he actually has the deposit item. If he denies it, then that means he's trying to steal it. So we um, challenged this already from a case of Shomrim and also from a case of uh, Shomer who volunteers to pay. And we answered those two cases on yesterday's daf. And so now we're going to have three more challenges to this question. If it's a challenge to the question, then, um, and, uh, and we don't answer the challenge, then the question is gone. And once the question is gone, we uphold this rule that we do not say, since he suspects for theft, he suspects for falsely, and that supports Rabbi Yochanan. So that's what we're doing right now. We're supporting Rabbi Yochanan, and we're starting right here. Rav Nachman, as we saw in a previous stuff, says that um, if, uh, if I claim $100 against uh, someone, and he says, I don't know what you're talking about. There's not, nothing ever happened. So from the letter of the law, he would not have to do anything, not have to swear, not have to pay. And I have no proof. Nevertheless, uh, since it's unlikely that I would just go and make up a total claim out of the blue. So in order to totally clear that person's name, we tell that defendant, you know what? Make a vow. And the vow is called heset. It's, tried to in, to, it's trying to induce him to um, uh, admit uh, if, in fact, uh, to make a confession, if, in fact, it did something. And if not, fine, he'll make us swear. Now, in this case, why don't we say, since he's suspect regarding money, that he's suspect also regarding the vow? 
But we don't say that. So this is uh, proof that we do not say that someone is suspect regarding a vow, even if we suspect them regarding money. So that's a proof for the Biochanan um vetu hadetane rebi chia shenehem nishpain venotlin me balabait nema migo de chashid amamona chashid ashebu ata. And furthermore, rebi chia says, uh, in the case of the storekeeper and the laborer, so he had a boss and he had to owe, he paid. Uh, the, he, want, he had to pay the laborer for a day of work, $100. And he says, listen, instead of me paying you, go to the storekeeper and he'll give you, uh, he'll give you your payment. And then sometime later, the laborer says, I never received anything. And the storekeeper says, I gave it to him. So the, uh, the law is there is that both the storekeeper and the laborer will make a vow. Uh, the storekeeper that he gave the $100 and he can collect from the owner, from the boss. And the laborer also makes a vow that he never received anything and he also collects from the boss. Now, in this case, one of them is lying. So why don't we say, since we suspect them of lying, so we should suspect them of regarding making an oath and the oath will not help us believe them. But you see, we don't say that. So that's a proof for the Bi Yochanan again that um, we, even though someone is suspected regarding money, we still will believe their oath. And the third and uh, last proof on this stuff, the two. Hadam Arav Sheshat. Shalosh Shibuot Mashbinoto. Shibuah Shalo Pashati Ba. Shibuah Shalo Shalachti Ba Yad. Shibuah Shena Birshuti. Nema Migu de Hashid Amamona Hashid Ashibuata. Rav Sheshat says that um, uh, you have a, if you have a Shomer Chinam, uh, he's given an item, and then uh, when it comes to time to collect, the Shomer Chinam says, Oh, sorry, it was stolen. I was not negligent. I was watching it carefully, but it was stolen. and so then I don't have to pay. Fine, he doesn't have to pay, but Rav Shashat says he does have to make three vows. Number one, that he was not negligent. He was watching it sufficiently the whole time. And number two, that he didn't take it himself. And number three, that he doesn't uh, um, have it in his house somewhere. Now, in this case, um, we are suspecting him of being a total thief, right? Of, of keeping it in this house, misappropriating it, right? Or being negligent. And so uh, even though we suspect him of being a total thief, nevertheless, we believe his vow. Why don't we say, Since we suspect him regarding money, we should suspect him regarding the vow. We don't say that. And therefore, this is a final proof. Right? We do not say, that because we suspect him for money, we suspect him for an oath. Not true. Even though we're suspecting these people regarding money, and then not in these cases, uh, and not in some of them, there's no way you could say, "Oh, he was buying time. He was really. Uh, he thought he was telling the truth. He was doing something right." It's impossible to excuse it any other way. And therefore, our final proof, uh, uh, our final answer is that in fact, the Biochanan uh, is upheld, and we don't want people to go grabbing things, and we suspect that people may go and just grab something from someone else's hand. Um, uh, so to stop that, we say, well, swear about it. Well, but he's a thief. So you think we can believe his swear? And his answer is yes, we can believe his swear, right? And so all of these challenges um, are go against this uh, thesis that we had said earlier that we do say uh, since in a deposit case, um, unless he's buying time. And not all these cases is he buying time. So this is rejected. And in fact, 
Um, we do not say since he is suspected for theft, he is suspected for swearing falsely in any case. And therefore, to be Yochanan, is, uh, is, uh, his uh, reasoning is uh, appropriate, makes sense. But now we're going to see a second view of Abaye. Abaye Amar, Chashinan Shema Milva Yishana Yesh Lo Alav. A completely different expl- answer. Some say Abaye is related to the Biochanan, but it is easier to read this uh, continuation as Abaye giving a new explanation for the oath in our Mishnah, in the case of two people holding a garment, and so yeah, we're going to split it, uh, but we make them make them make them take a vow. Why do we make them take a vow? Right, that he in fact has uh, less than half, uh, not less than a half, because we suspect. You know what happened? One person picked it up on perp- uh, uh, first. The other person has an old outstanding loan that he was never able to collect. And he says, oh, look at that. That guy owes me $50 anyway. You know what? I'll just go grab uh, that garment that he's holding and I'll come to court and I'll say it's mine. And that way I'll get my a payment for my old loan. So we we worried about that. And therefore we say, you know what? Take an oath uh, to make sure that you really got this one first and this is not from some other loan. Okay, we ask, but Well, in that case, well, let him take uh, take that, that half of the garment even without an oath because, well, if that's really true that he's owed money, so let him have it. And what's the difference if he in fact picked it up first or not? Why do you, Why does he have to make an oath? He's really owed the money. Good, so let him take it. Shalom al Yisrael. No, what we are really worried about is that this guy who grabbed, this guy who's holding on, one of the guys who's holding on to it, um, uh, has a suspicion that there was an old, we suspect that he thinks that there is that there was an old outstanding debt, but he's not sure himself. He like remembers something, right? Did he ever pay me? I have a feeling that maybe he did, maybe he didn't pay me. And so this guy's gonna he sees his friend grab uh, hold uh, pick up a garment first, and he's gonna say. I think it's possible that he owes me $50. You know what? I'll go and grab it, and that way I can get my $50. But he's not sure, so he doesn't have a right to go and take it um, out of uh, a doubt. And therefore, we're going to make him take a vow to say, are you sure that you really picked it up first um, and you deserve half of this garment? Uh, maybe that you're picking it up because you have a, a safek that he owes you from some old loan, in which case you cannot take it. Um, so that's why we make him take a bow. Wait a second. And uh, do we do we? Why wouldn't we say that a person who would grab something and steal it out of a doubt? Maybe he would also make a false vow out of a doubt. So how can we believe him uh, about regarding the vow? So Rav Sheshat, the son of Rav Idi, explains this is human psychology. A person will refrain from making a, a vow if he, there's any doubt that it, that it might not be true. But a person will not refrain from taking something if there is some doubt whether he owns it or not. What's the difference? Uh, because regarding money, he can if he finds out it was wrong, he can always return it. So he, he sees this uh, other person pick up a garment. He says, I have a 50-50 chance that this guy never paid me back. You know what? I'm going to go grab that item uh, because just in case, now, I have, now is my chance. I can collect 
that possible debt. And then I'll take, I'll take my half home and then I'll find out. And then if one day I, re I see that, in fact, he didn't owe me, so then I could always return it. So it's always returnable. I may as well get my chance to at least um, get my leverage now and take the item. Whereas a, a vow is you cannot uh, go back on your vow. You cannot retract it. Once you make a false vow, so he sinned by making a false vow. So even um, uh, 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 such a person who might uh, grab something out of a safek that is owed to him will not make a shivua out of a safek and therefore we uphold Abaye's explanation of our Mishnah that we make a person, uh, both of them, that they uh, come into court holding onto a garment. We make both of them take a vow because we suspect that maybe uh, uh, one or the other of them grabbed onto it uh, uh, from and took it out of the hands, half of it out of the hands of the other person because he was collecting the, a safek of, uh, of a past loan. Um, so as if we make him vow, then they'll come and confess and say, you know, you know what, really, I didn't pick it up first. I was just thinking about something else before. So we tell him, well, then you can't have this garment. If you have a claim, okay, go and find proof and bring the claim later. We now have a new question that's a variation of the case in the Mishnah. You have these two people, they come into court, each of them is holding a garment, same as in our case of the Mishnah, but then right in front of the court, one of them just grabs it right out of the hand of the other person. What would we do in that case? Would we still have them split it? So first we ask a question about this question. Let's clarify your question. What does the other person, the, the victim who's, uh, who, whose hands it's grabbed out of, uh, what was his reaction? Was he just quiet? If he's quiet, if he remains silent, then that means he admits, oh yeah, it's not really mine. If someone grabs something and you're just like, okay, do nothing, um, then that reticence is the same as an admission. And if he's screaming, hey, you just uh, you just took my item, right? You just stole, he's screaming in front of the court. Well then, what is he else supposed to do? Is he supposed to go and grab it back, clobber the other guy in front of the in front of the uh, court, right? The court obviously is watching this, so he's and he's yelling, hey, he just took my item. So uh, then there's no admission there. And obviously... We would then split it. So those, both of those cases would be obvious. If he admitted, if he was quiet, that means he's admitting it. So then give it all to the other guy. And if he's screaming, then we would split it. So what's your question, to Zera? So here's the clarification. We're talking about a case where they again they come into court and they're both holding it equally. One of the one of the guys grabs it from the other, and at first the victim here is quiet. He figures that the the judges are watching, so he doesn't need to say anything. They just saw it. But then when he sees that the judges aren't doing anything and not giving him uh, his time of day and uh, what he deserves, so then he starts screaming. Do you, didn't you see? He grabbed it from me. I walked in and we were holding. Holding it together. That's the question. And here's the two sides. What do we say? On the one hand, you say maybe since he was quiet at the beginning, that's that's called a confession, right? And then he's, he just decided later on, he changed his mind and started to yell, um, but he already confessed. So then the guy who grabbed it gets the whole thing. Or do we say, the, uh, since he's yelling now, so now we see the fact that when he was quiet at the beginning, he was only quiet because he thought the rabbis were watching, and uh, so they would see it, and they would uh, do something about it. Now that he sees they're not doing something about it, so now he started screaming. In that case, he never confessed, and therefore, we should split it, uh, make a vow, and they split it 50-50, as the Mishnah says. That's the Bizarra's question. We have an attempt at an answer. Amar Nachman, Tashima Bamedri, 
במאמרים ששניהם אדוקים בה, אבל הייתה טלית יוסת מתחת ידו של אחד מהן, המוסיף מחברו עליו הראייה. רב נחמן is quoting a brayta that comments in our Mishnah and says, when do we say that they make a vow and split it? That's only if both of them are holding on to the garment. But if they walk in if, to court and only one of them has, has the garment, then we apply the rule, המוסיף מחברו עליו הראייה. They both come in and one says it's mine and he's holding it. The other one says mine but he doesn't hold it. Well, we told, tell the one who doesn't not holding anything, you bring a proof. That's the Braita. Now, what exactly is the case of the Braita? Hechidami. peshita. If it's exactly, uh, literally, as we, as we just read it and explained it, well, that's obvious. If one person is holding the whole thing and the person has nothing, then obviously, Rather, must be the Braita is giving us some chidush. It must be, it's talking about exactly this case, that they came in with it together. And then, one of them grabbed it from the other, and he was quiet at first, but then he started yelling, and we don't know what to do. And here, the Baraita says, um, even though, because he was quiet at first, so that's it, we consider that a confession, and the guy who was quiet, even though he's yelling now, he'll have to bring proof to get half of it. Okay, so isn't this a good proof then? This is directly answers the question, and then we say, no, this Baraita really is not clear, and it could be talking talking about a couple of other possible cases. And here we're going to bring two. Uh, we're talking about a case where they came in both holding, uh, hold on, holding on to it. And the court ruled on it and they said, go, you have to split it. Okay, good. And they leave uh, uh, with that verdict. And then they came back into court a few minutes later with only one of them holding it. And so they Open the case. Hi Amar Oduye Odili, Hi Amar Bidme Igarti Nihale. One of them, the one who's holding it, says, When we got out of court, he admitted to me that it's really all mine, and he let me have it. So you see, it's all mine, like I'm holding it. And the other person who's not holding it says, No, no, we split it when we went outside, and I, he, he rented the other half from me, right? Because it's one garment, and how are we going to both wear one garment? So we made a deal. And he gave me $10, and I said, okay, you can use it for the next week. Um, so he made a deal, but really, half of it is mine. And now, they reopen the case that comes to before the court. So the ruling of the Braita is, We tell the person who's not holding it, says, five minutes ago, you were calling this guy a thief. And now you went outside and you made a deal with him, a business deal, without witnesses, and you trusted him, right? Well, that doesn't make sense. Your story makes no sense. Nobody would go into business without witnesses uh, with someone who he was just suing in court. And therefore, his story doesn't hold up. So you're not holding it right now. So we have to assume that the other person is right, that you admitted and gave it over to him unless you can bring other proof otherwise. Or another way that this Baraita can be uh, talking about another case, but not related to the Bizeraz case, is uh, As we said uh, earlier, this case is talking about two people that come into court 
Um, uh, and uh, one of them, only one of them, is holding the garment. But the other is just holding on, hanging on to an edge. One is holding the whole thing, and other with just a little bit of an edge. And this Baraita is teaching that even according to Sumchus, that says when we have property and we're not sure whose who's it is, so then we split it without a vow. But he would agree that if someone just holding on to a piece of the edge, that's considered nothing. And therefore, even though they both come in um, and one is holding on to a little bit, we say, forget it, you have no claim. But this Baraita is talking about that case as not necessarily talking about Abizara's case. And therefore, sorry, Rav Nachman, although this is a good attempt, this Baraita is not related and we do not answer Abizara's question. Although we don't ask, answer Rabbi Zara's question, we ask a related question. We're asking the following variation of that question. Two people walk into court, same as before, holding on to a garment. And then, uh, while, while they're in court, one of them says... I am declaring the entire garment to be hekdesh. The entire thing is sanctified. What would happen? Is it sanctified because he has some partial claim? Or do we say it's not sanctified because he doesn't have a whole claim? Well, the answer to this will relate to what we, whatever we would answer to the Bizarra's question. If you say that when one of the parties grabs it, then we take it away from him. Then if he can't grab it and keep it, certainly he cannot make it hekdesh and keep it. Uh, he cannot make it hekdesh and remain hekdesh because you can't make something hekdesh that's not yours. And therefore, if you have no right to grab it and keep it, then you also have no right to sanctify it. So that side of it would go would be clear. But if we say that if one person grabs it in front of the judges, then we keep we let him have it, and the other person will have to bring proof, and otherwise he can keep it. Well, then instead of uh, instead of grabbing it, what if he makes it hekdesh? Since he could grab it, so maybe we would say that he also can make it ekdesh. Maybe that's sufficient uh, amount of possession in order to sanctify it. And so here's the two sides. There is a general rule that uh, a words that one says making something sanctified is as powerful as transferring something physically to a an ordinary person. In order to uh, effectuate a transaction with a regular person, it's not enough to say, just to say, this is yours. You actually have to give it and the other person has to uh, pick it up or pull it. Not so for um, Hekdesh, to make something Hekdesh, you don't have to give it to a treasurer of the Kohen, you know, a, a treasurer of the Beit HaMikdash, you don't have to give it to a Kohen, you don't have to physically do anything. You can just declare, this is holy, and that's it, it will be holy. So therefore, if we say that side, that would mean, since I can grab it, and it would be mine, so too, if I declare it holy, then that would work, and the whole thing would be holy, um, and uh, that's it. Then neither of us would be able to uh, take it home. Or do we say, 
right now he hasn't grabbed it yet so he doesn't have full possession yet and the pasuk says if a person makes hikdash uh, his house, it will be holy. So just like his house means something that's in his possession. That's by definition. It's his house. His house and anything in it is his physical possession. So too, sanctifying something only works if it's fully in his possession. And this garment, since someone else is holding on to the other side, is not in his position, uh, his possession. It's true. Potentially, he could grab it, and then make it Ekdesh, okay, fine. But right now, it's not in his full physical possession, and therefore, his making it Ekdesh does nothing. Uh, it's not Ekdesh. That's the two sides of the question. Um, so the, the, um, uh, conceptually, the, uh, the question is, is, per, is someone allowed to, can you sanctify something that is not fully in your possession? Even if you have a potential to get it in your possession, but right now it isn't, um, does that Ekdesh work or not? Oh, so here's uh, an attempt at an answer. Tashema. Tahi masuta dehavu mansu ala betere. There was a case of a bathhouse, and two people were arguing. One said, I own the bathhouse, and the other one said, No, I own this bathhouse. One of them got up and he said, I'm consecrating the entire bathhouse. I guess he was so fed up in dealing with it. You know what? I, I, I'm just going to make it hektesh. Now, it's not clear. This is exactly our case because um, the, the ownership is disputed. So can you make Hekdesh something where the owner, you're not in full possession? So um, the answer was not clear, not even to the rabbis in that place. So all the rabbis in that area, they just stopped going to that bathhouse just in case it may be sanctified. If it's sanctified, you're not allowed to benefit from it. And so Rav Oshaya told Rabba, Oh, I heard you're traveling. Listen, when you go to Rav Chista, and you, uh, who lives in Kafri, when, when you get there, would you ask him? He, he's a great sage, and maybe he knows the answer, because right over here, over here we cannot find any uh, source for this. So Rabba, on his way, to Kafri, he came to the city of Sura, and he brought it up with Rav Hamnuna, who was in Sura. And Rav Hamnuna had an answer. He said, This is a Mishnah in Masechet Taharot. Sefek Bechorot, Echad Bechor Adam, Echad Bechor Behema, Ben Tehorim, Ben Temeim, Hamosim Achavero, Alav Hara'aya. If you have a Bechor, uh, but you're not sure if it's a Bechor or not, whether it's a Bechor of a human being or an animal, whether the animal is, is a kosher animal or a chamor, which is not kosher, but you still, the be- still has Kiddushat Bechor and you have to change it for a sheep. Um, a Bechor Adam also has a, a holiness and you have to um, uh, uh, exchange it for five um, coins. And uh, if it's a Bechor Behemah Tehora, then it goes uh, to the Kohen. The, the farmer, the shepherd, has to give it to the Kohen. In any of these cases, if we have a Sefek, how could we have a Sefek? Let's say an animal gives birth to twins, and we're not sure which came first, which came out first. Uh, they got mixed up. And so now we don't know which one, which one is which, and the shepherd has all, both of these animals. So we, where the ruling is the Kohen has to prove that it's his. As long as the shepherd has them, the shepherd can keep them, and the, uh, oh, the, the, the Kohen will have to prove if it's his. Um, on the other hand, if the, if the Kohen goes and grabs them, it would seem, then we would still apply And so now the Kohen grabbed them, so now they're in Kohen's possession. So we'll tell the shepherd, okay, you prove that they're yours, uh, that it's not a Bechor, and then you could take it back.
Now, there's a Braita on that Mishnah that says, V'tani Allah, Asurim Bagiza Uba No matter what, they're prohibited from shearing and working these animals. A Bechor, anything animal that has Kiddushat Bechor, um, even before it's given over to the Kohen, uh, one is not allowed to benefit from it by shearing it or working the animal. So, here's the proof. So here in this Mishnah, let's say the, the um, you have a uh, uh, an animal and it's safek bechor. The shepherd has it. A kohen comes and says, "Oh, that's safek bechor. I'm taking." He grabs it. The kohen just grabs it out of uh, uh, from from the pen, and we say, "Well, you cannot take it back from the kohen uh, because hamosimechavero alaveraya." And now, right now, the kohen is in possession of it. And uh, fine. Now, what if he doesn't seize it and it's still in the in the pen of the shepherd? Nevertheless, it's prohibited from shearing and working it. So what we see is that an animal can be sanctified even before, even if it's not in the possession of a Kohen. So there you go. Here's an answer to our question. And the answer is yes, you can sanctify an animal, uh, an item, even without full possession. And therefore the same thing would be true in our case when two people walk into the court both holding on to a garment, and uh, it's not clear whose who's it is. Um, one of them could grab it and he would take it. Uh, so even if he doesn't, if he makes it Hekdesh, uh, nevertheless, he can, it is Hekdesh, because we just proved that even without full possession of an item, uh, it can be made Hekdesh. Is that a good proof? Rabba said, no, you're bringing a, this, this proof is not a good proof. You're trying to bring a, a proof from the holiness of a Bechor. Uh, holiness of Bechor is there from birth. Even if there's no Kohen around for miles and miles, um, just by being born first, it already has the holiness of Bechor. And just for that reason, and the shepherd is not allowed to work it or shear it. And so therefore I could say in this case that the Kohen, if he grabs it, in fact, we would take it back from him. Yeah, the Kohen has no, uh, even if the Kohen has no right to take it, nevertheless, it would still be prohibited to work it and shear it for the shepherd because this is holiness that comes by itself. It's completely different from our case. Our case, we're trying to figure out, can someone make something that's just regular item, can someone make it hekdesh, even if it's not in his full possession? This is hekdesh already from the second it's born, and so there is no proof from here. Amal le rav chananya le Tanya de meseya lach. Rav Hananiah tells Rabbah, I have a proof for this point that you made, that if, a, if you have a safek bechor, the shepherd has it, and if a kohen goes and grabs it from, from the shepherd, we remove it from the kohen's hand. He cannot keep it. Um, what's the proof that uh, of, the, of this fact? Um, it's from the following b'raita that says, if you have a safek bechor, you're a, a shepherd, a farmer, and you have a bechor, you're not sure, so you you uh, nevertheless put it into the pen to be tithed. Um, so this is ma'asar behema. Ma'asar behema, one has to take all of the uh, uh, animals um, that were born that year, and he puts them in a pen and has them go through single file through a gate, and he counts uh, one, two, three, till he gets to nine, and then the tenth one he marks, and then all those, each of those tenths um, becomes holy, and he has to take them to Yerushalayim, 
and uh, eat it um, uh, as a sacrifice there. So now you have a safek bechor. If it is a bechor, then he has to give it to the kohen, and it does not is not included in maaser. If it's not a bechor, then he has to take maaser. He has to include it and um, and give maaser, uh, count it within the maaser that he gives. So this beraita says, if it's a safek, nevertheless. Put it into the pen and let it go through and count it for maaser. Now this is a good proof because If you think that if a kohen would grab it, the kohen keeps it. We don't take it out of his hands. Then how could we include it in the maaser? After all, it basically belongs to the kohen. The kohen could just come and take it any time. So then I cannot use it. Uh, for maaser because because if I use it for um, for maaser let's say it's the tenth one so I'm counting right these nine and then the tenth one is this bechor that really the kohen belongs to the kohen because the kohen could just go and take it any time so now I dispense my obligation for the first nine with the tenth one that actually belongs to a kohen I can't do that I can't exempt myself from maaser with an animal that doesn't belong to me. Therefore, it must be that this is not true. Uh, that If a Kohen comes and grabs it, no, he does not get to keep it. He has to prove that it's not, a, that it is a Bechor, and then he can take it, unless he can, unless he can prove that as a Safek. Um, I can, I, I don't have to, I, I can use it for Ma'asir. And this is a proof for what Abbas said, that if I have a Safek uh, Bechor, and the Kohen grabs it, then we take it back from him. All right, that's Rav Hananya's proof supporting Rabbah. However, Abaye rejects this proof. First, he's going to reject the proof. Then he's going to change his mind and say, actually, you did have a good proof. If that's your proof, then that's not a proof. Here we're talking about this, but I test on a case where this shepherd has only nine other newborn animals and this one that's a safek bechor. There's a rule regarding maaser. If you have less than 10 animals altogether, then you don't have to give maaser. Just nine animals, you don't have to give maaser at all. And so therefore, this since the shepherd has nine plus this one, then no matter what, he'll, he'll be able to count that be safek bechor. Because if it's a bar in other words, it was not a bechor animal, it's a regular animal. So now he has 10 regular animals that require maaser. So good, he did this, he did the thing, he had them all go through, he gives one as maaser, no problem. And if it's actually a bechor, um, then he only has nine left over that actually require a nine that um, nine regular animals. You do not do not have to give anything. So so in that in that case, they'll just do the system and they'll have one that'll be a that'll have to give maser. Okay, he's giving something extra. Um, but either way, he's fine. He fulfilled his obligation. That's the case that we're talking about. But there's no proof that this requires Maased or doesn't require Maased that belongs to him or doesn't belong to him. It could very well be that if the Kohen would come and grab it, it would belong to the Kohen. And the only reason that we're allowing it here is because it's not actually exempting anything. I'm not uh, exempting nine animals 
because uh, uh, with property that belongs to someone else, because if it belongs to someone else, then the other nine animals don't need to be take, have Maaseh taken from them. And if it doesn't belong to the Kohen, well then, fine, and I used it properly. So therefore, there's no proof. Habayas says, no, forget what I just said. That is actually is not correct. Why? Um, a safek animal, if it is an animal, you're not sure whether you have to use it, take maaser from it or not, then it's a, a patur. You don't, then you don't take maaser from it. There's no need to. How do you know? Ditnan. Kafas Let's say you have a whole bunch of animals and they're going through, right? And then um, as they're going through, one of the animals that you already counted and is already exempt from Maaser, jumps back into the pen of the ones I haven't counted yet. And the ones I haven't counted yet, there's a hundred animals, right? And then I counted ten, and one went out, uh, and they, the ten went out, they're exempt, one jumps back in, and now I don't know which one it is, they all look the same. Uh, Mishnah says, the whole pen of a hundred is exempt, because for each and every animal, I have a safik. Maybe this one I don't have to give. Maybe this one I don't have to give. And therefore, I don't have to give Maser on any of them. So, here's the proof. Now, if you think that when there's a safek, whether a certain animal needs to be taken Maser from or not, well then, I should take Maser from all of them, all 100 plus the one that jumped in, wherever it is. Because if uh, this particular animal here requires Maser, good, I'm going to take Maser from it. And if it doesn't require Maser, so then it'll uh, it'll uh, fit into the nine, right? Whatever it, uh, whatever uh, group of ten that it's with, it will nevertheless exempt it because I take the group of ten, and if this one didn't need to have Maser, then that group is nine, and that's the general rule. What Shravah says. Poter. Ravas says, in, in general, whenever you have uh, 10 animals and you're, you know, you're counting them as, and they're going through, and for whatever, whatever reason, one of the, those 10 animals uh, becomes uh, all of a sudden unusable. For example, as they're going through, one dies. So now there's only nine. So I say, you know what, they're all exempt, right? Because that's the general. If I only had nine to begin with, then uh, I would not have to give any maser. So even if I have ten and one of them is exempt, so now I consider it nine. And therefore, if uh, the one that, uh, uh, so when the one jumps in, back in, and if I would say that for a safek, you still have to um, uh, take, you still have to give maser, then I would have to take maser on all of them. If these ten all required maser, good. If the one that jumped back in was part of it, then it would still be okay because that group only has nine. But the Mishnah doesn't say that you have to go and give Maser for all of them. Instead, the Mishnah says they're all exempt. Um, and uh, they're all exempt because for everyone, there is a safek. So we prove from here that uh, safek, uh, if an animal needs uh, to take maaser, you don't have to do it at all. The Torah says you only have to give a tenth if you know that for sure all ten require maaser, and if there's a doubt about any of them, then you don't have to give maaser for any. And here too, in the case of maaser of the bechor, a safek bechor. If it is a bechor, I don't have to give maaser. If it's not a bechor, I do have to give maaser. If it's a safek. 
then I would not have to give maaser from this animal. Now, if you say that the kohen can, who grabs it keeps it, well, then it's not mine. It's not, or I'm not. At least I'm not sure it's mine. And so then I would not be able to, not have to, and not be able to use this animal as far part of my maaser uh, animals. But the Mishnah does not, does not say so. The Mishnah says I can use it as part of my uh, maaser animals and count it as one of ten to exempt the others. That shows that it is definitely mine. This uh, We consider this Bechor for sure my property and not a Bechor. Why do we consider that for sure? Because if the even if the Kohen would come and grab it, we would not let him have it. And so since the Kohen does not have proof that it is a Bechor uh, and by which he can keep it, therefore we say, sorry, it's not the Kohen's. If the Kohen would, would, take, would grab it, we would take it back from him. And that's why we consider it definitely uh, requiring Maaser. And that's the only reason and why the Mishnah says that you include it within 10 to take Maaser. And so, in the end, uh, Abaye changes his mind and said, actually, you know what? Your proof, Rav Hananiah, for Rabba's claim is a good proof. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen ve'amen.